0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. Don't like your odds? Enjoy daily bet boosts on your favourite sports and make your best bet now at betvictor.com. 18 plus, be
1: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my name is Yona and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day Podcast.
0: Hello, Chelsea supporters. Here at the Blue Day Podcast, I am pleased to introduce you our guest today. He made thirty-two appearances for Chelsea, scoring six goals. Plus, he played with the likes of Peter Benetti, Ron Harris, and our very own co-host Steve Wicks. Here is Teddy Maybank. Teddy, welcome to the Blue Day Podcast. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Keith.
2: And it's lovely to talk to you, mate. Lovely to talk to you.
0: Myself have done a few of these interviews, but it is a pleasure to have you. On the show today. I want to start at the beginning of your footballing journey if I can, Teddy. Was there any sort of significant influences that made you decide that you wanted to be a professional footballer? Well,
2: this this is really people don't believe this, Keith, but it's the gospel truth. I mean, a lot of my friends know it's the truth. I um I went to a church school in Brixton called Church, uh Christchurch, and we only played twice a year against a school called St. Mark's. And, you know, I, it's, we played at Kennington on the asphalt, the old Cinder asphalt. And we played twice a year and I used to score a few goals. This was when I was sort of 10, 11. And what happened, I just thought, I could, we, we played with tennis balls in the, in the playground, you know? And I thought I had something about me. I don't know why. I, I haven't got a clue. And um so I thought I was good. So I knew the South London manager used to walk by our school. I'd heard this. So, and he was a self-manager and we South London manager, and we just thought, well, I thought, well, I'm gonna wait outside the school. So every day I used to wait outside the school, and anybody that looked like a teacher or a coach or whatever, I don't know what a coach looks like, but Anybody with a tie on, I used to say, are you the South London manager? Are you the South London manager? And I did it for about a week. And eventually, this chap said, I'm the South London manager. So I said, well, I think, my name's Teddy Maybank. I think that I could get a trial for South London. And he he kind of looked at me. And he said, well, if you get your headmaster to write to me or phone me, I will consider it. So I went to my headmaster, Mr Perry, and said, look, Mr Perry, Mr Perry, I've actually asked the South London manager if I could have a trial. And he said, I said, but he needs your confirmation to say that I'm a good player. So fortunately, Mr Perry actually rang Cowley School where this... South London manager worked, and that's how I got a trial. And from then on, it was always, you know, when the scouts come to see the uh, the area, the area games, as in South London, East London. And from then on, you know, that's where you get scouted,
0: and that's how it all started. I see. And with that, was it a case of? I'm assuming at that time you had sort of a favoured position in mind that you wanted to play in, or was it just a case of just getting there and sort of try try out different positions? What was sort of your mindset going into once that trial eventually happened?
2: Really, it was just about running around and getting as much of the ball as you could possibly get. You know, there was no sort of positions. You sort of, when you're kind of, as I thought I was at the time at primary school, I thought I used to just run round, take the throw-ins, take the corners, take the free kicks, used to do everything. So really and truly, I didn't have any designated position. But obviously, because I was scoring goals, I was probably playing up front a little bit more, you know. So then it was a matter of the South London um, manager and his his crew sort of to tell me where
0: I was going to play. It is interesting how that sort of, started for you who were your idols growing up as a kid during that time
2: well fortunately I mean can I say one thing um, yes of course we were we were born we were born in I was born in Brixton our family sort of grew up in Brixton and I lived in a little cul-de-sac at number three St Lawrence Road and next door but one, number one, was a family grew up and they were <clears throat> the Lindsays, And they were a black and white couple that got married and they had three or four children. Mark was their older one. And Mark, my brother, and I used to just go out. I think he was about a year older than me, a year and a half older than me. We used to go out into this cul-de-sac and we were lived opposite a church and what we used to do is just go out and kick the ball up against the fence you know and just mess about the three of us and I don't want to bring this up but I'm going to it was we were talking the other day funny enough I spoke to a chap two brothers that um, played with me when I was really young They were Rupert and Owen and they were black and Mark was black. And we were talking the other day, he sent me something and he said he was so proud to play with us. And he thanked me for my family, my mum and my dad. They were always around our house, you know, all the time. And racism, it just, it does my head in, you know, because we never had racism in our time. And we were in the height. Of the black riots in Brixton, we were in the we were in the height of like when we played for Chelsea, like the riots there, but there wasn't one single bit of racism between all of us, black, white, Asian, whatever it was. We never had, and when you're playing sport, and Brixton was renowned for blacks in the end, you know, but we loved it, like we were brothers. And Mark and I grew up playing football against the fence. And it's so funny, within two doors, Mark Lindsay played for Crystal Palace. He played for Tampa Bay Rowdies. He played with Pelé. He played with Rodney Marsh. He played with George Best. And then I obviously carried on, and I played for Chelsea and Fulham and Brighton and whatever. And it's so unbelievable that two poor kids, and we were poor at the time, Two poor kids from that area grew up individually and became, well, top players, like professional footballers playing for, I mean, you can't get better than playing with Rodney Marsh and George Best and and Pele in Mark's Mark's situation and me playing with George Best and Bobby Moore and whatever. But it was such an unusual thing. Just the two boys from a cul-de-sac in Brixton both grew up to be professional footballers and made their living out of it. It's a coincidence, a big coincidence, that two doors apart, we both become professional footballers. But when we were... we were, And my brother played for um, Dulwich Hamlet and played for Wimbledon Reserves. And it's amazing. We just used to sit out in... Mind you, that's what kids can't do now. And also what kids don't want to do we had the we had to, because there was no not so many cars and traffic we used to go out in the road and we used to just kick against the fence and we used to get so many complaints from neighbours in it but we used to kick the ball against the fence and our greatest thing was we used to, one of us used to get on a bike and cycle past the other two that had footballs at their feet And the idea was we used to stand on the pavement and we used to try and knock the person cycling by on the bicycle off the bike. And I mean, there was some really catastrophic accidents, all getting stuck under the wheels, kids coming off the top of the, over the handlebars. But we used to absolutely love it. And we did it for hours. We'd go out. And the only time we'd come in was when it was time for dinner yeah. or it was bedtime. Yeah. And that's the great advantage we had. I mean, we used to just go out and just enjoy ourselves
0: till, till it got dark. Sort of further on from your footballing journey, you yeah. eventually was scouted by bigger clubs and you came through the youth ranks at Chelsea. Yeah. What memories can you share of that experience with you and a few, other, a few other of your teammates at that time?
2: Oh, God, it, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, when we, we... I used to catch a train, a bus down to the Oval, catch a train over to Stamford Bridge, Pullen Broadway, walk up. This is when I was 11 and 12, every Tuesday and every Thursday. And we used to train with Frank Bluntstone, and we used to train up above a part of the ground. It was in a big hall with pillars and columns. We all used to train there Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then we used to get luncheon vouchers. And we used to go down to a little cafe called Franco's. And we used to have our dinner because we didn't have time to have dinner at home. And then we'd eat at Franco's and then we'd catch our train home and go back home. And we did that all on our own. I mean, we... You know, I was 10, oh, no, 12, and caught the train on my own, and that was it. And then, obviously, we all turned into professionals, most of us anyway.
0: What was the Chelsea youth side like back then? Because I believe Ken Shileto was the youth coach at that time at Chelsea, and people that I've spoken to, previous footballers that have been on the podcast, have said very high praise about Ken what sort of stories have you got of Ken Shiletto?
2: Well, he's sort of God to us, kids. He was, he was just, obviously, because Ken, unfortunately, got injured, didn't he? I mean, he was, he was a virgin on the World Cup squad, you know? And, but he was, he was our surrogate father to all of us. He was just one of those chaps that, when we played with him, he actually made us look idiots as we were growing up, being apprentices, as we were moving through. He used to play in the five sides and he'd sort of oh he'd take the mickey, you know, he was so talented as a player, but as a as a bloke, he just he made us all feel we probably unity-wise, you could never surpass. And I know people actually talk about that group of players from the 75, 70 through to 80 or whatever, 79. They talk about it as a a unified group of players. You will never, ever, ever find that again. That group of players, the amount of players from the youth team that played in the first team will probably be unsurpassed. I mean, Arsenal had a, a great nucleus of young players. But our squad, if you work it, I would, you know, I don't, I don't count statistics in that, but I would say probably 10,
0: 11 of our youth team during that little period got into the first team. And with that, there must have obviously been a lot of great characters, because as you say, the likes of Ray Wilkins came through and took over the, the captaincy at such a young age yeah and other characters that you people know and hear from as you say it is quite extraordinary the amount of players that came through what was the camaraderie like between that nucleus of players including yourself did that help you guys get integrated well into the first team well
2: unfortunately i kind of left in 1976 and that's when all, the, all of my friends in that sort of start getting into the side. Obviously, Johnny Sparrow, the great John Sparrow, one of the best left-backs ever stroked. He stroked the ball. He struck the ball so well. He was a legend, and he was in the side probably, I think, apart from Chico Hamilton. I think Johnny Sparrow was probably the youngest player ever to get in the Chelsea side. But then you had John Sparrow, you had Graham Wilkins, Butchie's brother. And then from then on, you had Ian Britton and Gary Stanley and Jock Finiston and Tommy Langley, Ray Lewington, Clive Walker. You know, you can go on. And it's just an amazing, I mean, we were, there was only a couple of years between us all. Yeah. And for those amount of players, we just kind of, as I say, I would love to stay just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. But Jock Finiston, and like I, he's, he was my nemesis. We are best of mates, and it's kind of he kept me out the side because that year, nineteen seventy-six, I think Jock got about twenty-six goals, so he kept me out the side completely, you know. And then the problem is Keith you didn't have 25 subs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You didn't have 25 subs. You had one sub. Yeah. And Did you didn't have a squad of 30, like we do these no, days. You, didn't, you <laughs> didn't have a squad of 30. And also, I know it sounds a little bit mercenary, but then again, that's, you know, the nice thing about playing football, you earn a reasonable living as well. Maybe not back in that day, you know, I mean, but I'll get on to that. But, um... <laughs> You know, Jock, when Jock was playing, we were sitting up in the old shed, the old, the old shed, watching the game, and every time Jock scored, I wasn't giving it, hey, well, Jock, hey, we're winning, we're winning. I, I was putting my head in my hands and saying, oh, you rat. Because every time he scored, what did it mean? I ain't going to get a game. And the thing was, it was sort of one of those things where when I made my debut in 74, 75, I was on £40 a week. And what we got, if we played in the first team or was sub, we got an extra £200 appearance. So our basic wage was 40 But if you got into the squad it was £200 a period. So you were on 240 quid, which was a lot of money then. But if you weren't in the squad and you weren't in, in, not the 30 or 25, whatever you have now squad, if you weren't in the squad of 12, you were on £40. And it was such a kind of, it was a difficult thing to, you know, basically it was difficult to handle, you know, and... All the lads, I mean, we love everybody. I mean, Ray Lewington, we missed one out there, Ray Lewington. I went to school with Ray from the age of 11. And we sat next to each other at school and we went through and through and through. And again, we both went all the way. And it's it, the squad we had was just, we've, we've stayed friends forever, you know, and they always will be. Mm. And in fact, I got a, a message on Facebook saying, Who's, who's ever had a friend for 25 years? Name them. And, you know, I could turn around and say, do you know what, the friends I had for 25 years are still... I could walk in a room and they're still my best mates.
0: You briefly touched on your debut that was in the 74-75 season. It was against Tottenham. Uh, funny enough, the highlights of that was on uh, the big match that was on ITV4 a few weeks ago, funny enough. Yeah, and... I know.
2: I actually, I actually... <laughs> Believe it or not, I I recalled that and it's not for to see yourself on there. It's not well, I haven't got many games anyway, but I'm saying it's not to see yourself, but it's to see I don't know, that period of time. I think I played golf with Glenn Hoddle the other day and um we went round in a buggy and I've known Glenn, Glenn since I was about 14. He grew up through the same period at Tottenham, And you know, we, we got in the buggy and it's like we're best mates. You know, it's just it's not only Chelsea. It was it is Chelsea because ours was special. But we all remember us young lads all played for East West South London and we've all grown up competing against each other. In the area divisions, you know, and and you see as you go through, you see each other getting better and better, and then all oh, you sign for this club, all oh, you sign for that club, and then we see each other in the youth team, and then we see each other in the in the reserves, and then we see each other in the first team, and it's it's a unified
0: thing that that era
2: will never be reciprocated again, never,
0: because the way football has changed and. The pathway that players come through, and it you, know, you get some players that have come from abroad now, and it's them them becoming academy players, and then ended up in the first team. It, as you say, it is a lot different, even from when it was in the nineties, let alone from, oh, yeah. from 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 your time. But you, as you said, major debut. What was going through your mind when you was told that you was going to play? And no, at that no. time, it was such a pivotal game because it wasn't exactly in, in in August. It was actually near the end of that season. I think, believe it was. Yeah, late. it was.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, when I'd, what we used to do, we used to be in the changing room, right? And then on Friday, little notes used to go up with the teams on for the reserve team, the youth team, and the first team. And you'd go in and you'd look on your name for the youth team, da-da-da. Because... Well, we were basically all young enough, that the group of players that <coughs> got into the first thing, we were all young enough to play in the youth team. So first of all, you'd go and look at the youth team to see if you are playing in the youth team, which would have been good enough. And then you walked along to the next thing and you saw the reserve team and you looked for your name, you know, and then you went into the first team, well... Basically, you did, you know, you just fought youth team or reserves. And then if you got into the reserves, you were well happy, you know, because it was such a different. The combination league is such a sadly missed um, item in the football genre, really, because we used to play it on the main pitch every other week. Every If Chelsea were playing Fulham, we were playing Fulham at Chelsea or vice versa. And it was fantastic. You know, you, it, was, it was like playing, when you're playing on the main pitch, God, it felt great. And nowadays, young kids don't get a chance to do that. You know, God, they don't have a... I mean, people don't play games for bloody ages when they're in the squad, or if they're not in the squad. They may be great players, but they hardly play. And yet we played 42 games, the same as the first team played 42 games. But at that time, when I got picked for the first team, it was so funny. It was just, there's a great picture of myself and Ray Wilkins. And we were training behind the goal at Stamford Bridge because it was a great big arc behind the goal when they had the dog track. And it was was marvellous. And we used to love it on Fridays to go and play there. And I got picked. And it was one of those things, you think, God, the first people you ring is your mum and dad, isn't it? And you just go, you can't believe that I've been picked, I've been picked. And it was like, it was sort of nerve wracking because I remember going there, settling down, going there on the coach. And first thing I had to do was sort my mum and dad's tickets out. <laughs> There's 65,000 or 63,000 people there on something. They always say it was 50 odd, but they never used it really. They used to hide a few thousand without a doubt. And I had to, mum, come. Where's my ticket? I said, mum, 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 give me five minutes. I've just got to get off the coach. And when I got her tickets. And then, of course, we had that, I think it was about 20 minutes where the crowd were, you know, doing their usual thing from that time. I mean, it was the most horrific time, crowd violence there. It was the most horrific time, especially at Chelsea. Every game you went to, there was crowd violence. Something had to be done. But going there, we had a 20-minute delay, I think. And even when you watch the game, there's people running on the pitch, there's people fighting, and like, I remember a picture of Ray Wilkins running out, and there's people scrapping and punching each other. So it was a really kind of a it was a it was a it was a hard time to go on, and then we had to come off and then go back on. And as I say, just playing there, it was um it was fantastic. You can't really forget that ever. Unfortunately, we lost.
0: Yes, yes. It, it was a game that um, I remember watching it back on, on the telly the other week. But Eddie McCready was the manager at this point. He took over the position in April of, of that year. What yeah. was your view of him as a coach? And not just as a coach, but as a person that obviously you would have known as a player.
2: Well... I called Eddie McCready Longstreet because Eddie was half blind. You know, he couldn't see further than his nose without his glasses. But he was, as a player, you know, he was revered. He was a great left back. And what was funny, we um, we went, put it this way, we went to Dawlish for a pre-season uh, when we were in reserves, we went to Dawlish pre-season training. So, Dario Gradi, I might be speaking out of turn here, but it's, it's, not, it's not out of turn at all. Um, Dario Gradi used to have us, when we were training, he wanted us in bed by nine o'clock, you know, or everything strictly to his, his regime. And so we kind of went, oh, come on, Dario, come on, Dario. So anyway, Eddie took over the next year and we went to Dawlish. And so we started the training and it was a nice light hearted thing. It was great to be together. And Eddie called us in the room. He said, right, because Eddie was with us when we went to Dawlish with Daria. And he he said, right, lads, I want you in bed by nine o'clock at the latest. And we went, oh, come on, then, mate. You know what it was like last year. You can't do that. And he said, if anybody misses breakfast. So, what was funny, Dario was talking about nine o'clock next morning, but he was just having a laugh. And that's what Eddie was like. He he actually kept our humour up. And we had, you know, that started it all really, because it was just one of those eras that, and he was a store, Eddie was great, absolutely fantastic. Next to Ken Ken um I was unfortunately there at his when we interned him on at Stamford bridge, and I had to make a eulogy and it was you know it was fantastic, and I just can't say enough about Ken because honestly he he was definitely our father and then Eddie came on, and Eddie took over. And he he couldn't because he, he was playing when we were youth players. Ken was there all through our growing up, growing up. But when Eddie took over, he took on the same mantle. He was part and parcel of us. Do you know what I mean? He, it's difficult to become being a player and then taking over. And he did a, a fantastic job. Eddie was unbelievable. And how? I mean, there's all these stories, aren't there? You know. Like what happened to Eddie, why he got a sack or whatever. We never really know. We've all all heard different stories and there's some really funny stories, you know. But he was an absolute legend.
0: It must have been a shock to the whole team and obviously ex-teammates that were still at the club knowing that he's left and people not knowing sort of the full story even back then. Well, yeah, you, you hear those
2: things about the. You know, he went in and asked for a car, and when there's a funny story, like it might be, it might be just made up, but it was one of those where I think he had a chat with Tommy Doherty and he'd done so well with the young lads, bringing them through, you know, and getting us back on the road again, and um, he had a chat with Tommy Doherty and I think he was got. Oh, was it who was it, was it Ken Bates
0: at the time? Oh. uh No, I think this was before Mr. Bates. Might have been uh, Mr. Mears? Yeah, Brian Mears or whatever.
2: But i would never talked anything but great for Brian Mears because I I love his son. um, But it was one of those things where Tommy Doggett said, look, go in. He said, you're going to be all right. He said, you've done well with the first thing," And he said, look, if they don't offer you what you offer, get up and, you know, just walk out. And they'll call you back before you get to the door. And so Eddie went in, made his point, said, I want this, I want that. And they said, sorry, we're not giving you, um, we're not giving anybody more than a two year contract at the time. And that was the situation. So Eddie got up and walked out and was expecting the shout, you know, um, Eddie, Eddie, hang on a minute. Hang on. And I think Eddie got home for three days (laughs) without a phone call. So, what Tommy Doggy had said to walk out, don't worry, they'll call you back. That was another story that people were talking about. And I reckon Eddie McCready must have rung up Tommy and said, cheers, Tom. That's probably one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever had.
0: Four days after your debut against Tottenham, you did manage to score your first goal for the club. It was in a 1-1 draw with Sheffield United.
2: Yeah.
0: What were your emotions like at that point knowing that you've Young guy coming through the ranks. You're in the first team. You've managed to get on the score sheet for Chelsea. This this must have been a huge moment for you, looking back now. Oh, well, it was
2: like you dream of it, don't you, you know? And the funny thing is, it was us, me and Ray Wilkins were sitting in, and he, he said, what are you going to do if you score? What's your celebration going to be? I said, do you know what I'm going to do, Butcher? I'm just going to stand there I'm not going to move. I'm going to raise my hand in the air with one finger pointing up, and I'm not going to move. And you can all run around me and give me a hug and there. So Butch said, I'll bet you. Now, remember, we showed him 40 quid a week. But, I mean, it may be a hypothetical bet, but it was meant. And he said, I'll bet you that if you score, we will not be able to catch you. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll be off. He said, you'll be running, man. So I said, "Okay, we'll have a bet, 50 quid. And what happened, I think Mickey Droy, there was a corner of throwing from Spadge, and Mickey Droy headed it on. And in all fairness, I got in the right position, but it hit me on my knee and went in. So I stood there, raised my arm, pointed my finger to the sky... And I could, I could have caught the hair on a greyhound. It was just, I shot off. And I swear, it didn't matter. I was just running everywhere. And, then, and Butcher grabbed hold of me and said, that's 50 quid, you owe me. <laughs> yeah, so that was actually, I'll always, always remember that. I did stand still for about half a second but after that. I was off. I was bombing. You know, it's a brilliant, day. brilliant, brilliant moment.
0: Fantastic. Unfortunately for the club, though, Chelsea went down to the second division at that season. What were your thoughts at this time? Because of, as you say, the results weren't there. You know, defeat the Tottenham. We were sort of on a bit of a bad patch, sort of at the end of that season. We ended up going down to the second division What were your thoughts and what were the team's thoughts on this? Well, to be honest, at that age, you don't really think about it, you know?
2: You're there to play football. I mean, and remember, I think there was only two or three games to go, you know, after after my game. I think there weren't many games. And then when you get relegated, you get relegated. You know, it's one of those... We weren't really in a position to absorb the enormity the relegation it was just we just got into the side and you just think well we're relegated but you don't realize as i say the magnitude of of that happening and it wasn't when you think now you've got the premiership and then you got you know the championship and carrying on but it wasn't i mean people were kind of chelsea maybe not so but People were going up and down and whatever it was. Then you just got to get on with it, you know. And, but you just hope then you start your pre-season again and off you go. And you just hope that you can get into the side again, you know. And that was what Eddie was great at. He got us all together and he said, right, now we're going to go up. And that was unfortunate because then <clears throat> uh, Jock Finiston... No, he got into the first team. I don't know. I, I think I played to start with and I didn't do that great. I think I only got six six goals in about 30 games or something like that. But, you know, I, in my opinion, I contributed, apart from scoring goals, I was a sort of a provider. I worked hard, blah, blah, blah. Jock, he was a bloody nightmare. He didn't do anything in the game. But I'd strike a ball from 20 yards flying in the top, top corner and the goalkeeper would... Fly over and tip it over. And during Jock's run, like, honestly, it bobble one into the floor. And, oh, I'd love Jock to hear be this because we, when we had a meeting, like when Eddie and Ken came over, it was uh, uh, Eddie McCready's book launch. And we got up, me and Jock, and we've always done this. We always have a laugh. And, you know, he just used to, he'd come off his knee, would come off his ear, it'd come off his elbow. But it went in, you know. And Jock was honestly a prolific goalscorer all through the youth, all through the reserves. He was prolific, but he just—he was sort of the Jimmy Greaves mould, where it—he was just in there. Do you know what I mean? And I'd be watching. I thought, "How did you score that? Why? How can you possibly get it off your ear and fly into the top corner?" But he was just on that roll, you know. He was just brilliant. And the thing was, once once he was scoring like that, I went, I was playing in reserves and I was scoring, but you can't leave someone like Jock out in that year, you know, and that's the year they got back into first division and it was just, you You can't, and I just said to Eddie, look, Ed, I don't want to play in the reserves, I, I want to play in the first team and he said, look, look, he said, you're a better player than Jock, he said, you're a better player, give it time, just stay where you are and, so I gave it a bit of time and Jock was still scoring. So I said, Eddie, look, I can't. He said, well, do you want to go on loan? And I said, well, I'll go anywhere and play first team football. Yeah. He said, go on loan to Fulham. And then that you know the next story from then on, really.
0: First season back in the second division, things did get off well for Chelsea and for, for yourself in particular. You scored two against Carlisle in August. Yeah. With this sort of changing of, of the league and you starting the season off quite well, did you see this as a chance to be the first team regular centre-forward that Chelsea needed?
2: Well, yeah, I, I did. I did, really. Um, you know, I, it's stupid, isn't it? I mean, you as a youngster, I was an out-and-out sort of goal scorer, you know, I'd contribute, I'd work hard, and that famous old phrase that everybody throws at you, if you've had a bad game, you've got a six in the blooming daily mail or the sun, but the thing that came out, but he covered every blade of grass, and he used to drive me mad, do you know what I mean, of course you're going to cover every, apart from Jock, Jock probably only covered about, 300 yards in the whole game but he scored two goals and the thing is it's one of those things you try your hardest and I did yeah I did but it was one of those things that it just didn't particularly I didn't maybe have the centre forward position because we had Hutch up there and and Bill Garner was playing and you know they were the senior statesmen and I never sort of got that um, centre forward position but also it's, it's nerve wracking you know, you're playing and the crowd is shouting like you've got 30, 40,000 people. It's a completely different thing and it takes time. When you're 18, 19, 18, you know, at that age. And 18 then was young. You know, now you're getting 18-year-old players and 19- and 20-year-old players like the Fodens and the Mounts and the, and the people like that. You know, they're just world leaders. But at that time, it was a completely different era and you just got so nervous. You'd go out there and, you'd, and if you made mistakes, it kind of, it did get to you inside, you know? But unfortunately, I didn't, as I said, that's when Fino came in and started playing well and then that's where I sort of um, was getting left out. And of course, financially, as I said, if you're not in the first team, you're on 40 quid a week. And you kind of think, well, if I'm playing in the first team somewhere, if they'd have had, honestly, if they'd have had a squad of, I don't know, it was 15 or 16, you know, and you were in that squad, you would, I'm not saying you'd be happy, you still wouldn't be happy sitting on the bench, but if financially you were still getting the money in there, it would, it would, help in some way, you know what I mean? You'd be in the squad and you'd be happy to come on as a sub and do this. But if you're not in the squad, it just left you out in the wilderness. And that was the hard thing to actually stand. And I bet a lot of players left that shouldn't have left. And I regret, I mean, I had a fantastic time at Fulham and I wouldn't, would I change it? I don't know. But just not getting in the first team and playing after playing in the first team was a very difficult thing to handle
0: because there was a point in your run of that season whereby you scored goals against blackpool and i believe you scored the winner against bristol rovers as well they were both in in the league that must have given you the confidence sort of going forward but as you say was at that point was there sort of an issue between yourself and Eddie, because you did have, as you say, Jock sort of there as well as causing you some problems? No. Oh, uh,
2: Jock caused me problems from the age of bloody 15 or 16. I mean, we were best mates. And he caused me problems on and off the field. He used to come around to my family's house and they all used to come around to mum and dad's house. And, but, yeah, of course he caused me problems. It, it was, But it, it wasn't any, you know... There's no sort of sniping or backbiting. Jock was scoring. And to be honest, Eddie said, just be patient, just be patient. But I wanted to play first-team football. And then going on loan to Fulham with Rodney Marsh and George Best and, and Bobby Moore and Peter Storey, you know. And going, I set off like a house on fire there, you know. Then I went back because we were playing, Fulham were playing Chelsea. And I went back to Chelsea and a bloody chop was still there, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Why the bloody hell did he ever join Chelsea? You know, if he weren't at Chelsea, I'd have probably stayed there for about 20 years. But with Joe, why the bloody hell did he, why was he there? And I'm only saying this, like, flippantly. But yeah, he probably cut my Chelsea career short by about 10 years. <laughs>
0: well it was quite a, a long period whereby you was in the squad throughout the winter months and then in February 1976 you you were out of the squad completely I'm assuming that was with the loan to Fulham at that point Um yeah I was out of the squad you can't say out of
2: the squad can you because there's only 12 do you know what I mean you can't say out the squad. I mean, it's one of those things. You're either in the 12 or you're or out you're the 12. You can have a squad of players, as in all training together and all playing together and blah, 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 off off the first team scene. But there wasn't a squad. And everybody was out the squad if you weren't in the 12. And, it's you know, we didn't know any different then. Do you know what I mean? We, you imagine when there was only 11. And that wasn't too far... Before we we were playing, and you only had eleven players, and you know when people got injured, like off you go, shirt in. And if there's only eleven players, someone gets injured, and especially goalkeepers, then play like the outfield players put the goalkeeper shirt on, in, in they go. There was no subs, mm. and then when it comes to the twelve players, and that was that was uh, that was the majority of our career. You know, I'm not sure if I played when there was 14 people included in the squad. I don't think I did. I think it was always sort of 12. And so, when you say when you're out of the squad, everybody was out of the squad, apart from the 12 players that were, you know, involved.
0: It was near enough a whole year since your last appearance to then your next appearance for Chelsea, which was on the 12th of February, 1977 in a 1-1 draw with Millwall. Was you pleased to be back at this point? Was you maybe perhaps looking to move because it was so long since your last appearance? How frustrating was this f- for you? Yeah, this yeah it was, it
2: was very okay. frustrating. Yeah, it was really frustrating, you know?
0: I mean, mind you, if I'm not
2: scoring and, you know, if you're not scoring and you, you can't be expected to be in the first team. And we had Tommy Langley, you know, then there was Hutch. There was Charlie Cook. There was, you know, there was Finno. And, you know, if you're not scoring, then you can understand why you're not. And as I say, you can't call it the squad. If you're not in the 12, you can understand that. But, and... The problem is the impetuosity of youth, really. If we, if you think back, would you say you wouldn't have moved? Because I would love to have played in that squad. Squad, I'm off again, is not I?
0: <laughs> no, the squad. You've started it now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> would you
2: love? I know. I tell you what. When you think we we were sort of part. Really, Tommy Langley, myself, we were, and Ray, obviously Ray Wilkins, Johnny Sparrow, but we were in the first team sort of before most others. And of our our ilk, you know, of the youth team and the reserve team. And what I would have given to play with Wixie, to play with Ray Lou, to play with you know, all those lads that we've grown up from being 10 years of age and 11 years of age, because me and Ray Lou, as I say, we played for South London together, Surrey, da da da, all the way through. We, you know, and Ray knew me inside out and he was just, well, he's the general really, you know, he's tough as old boots and you can't have any more respect. And his career has shown what a fantastic. Football man, he's, he, he was and has been. But to play with them, I'd like to have just hung on one more year to see how things had gone. But as I say, being a young man and, and you know, when I went on loan, to be honest, it was... Like play, and I scored, I think I scored 16 goals in 30 games or so for Fulham when I went there, when I joined. And when I went on loan, I think I scored three goals in four games, you know. And it was just that thing that actually, that miniature admiration when you go there and you score and, you know, the, straight away the crowd are with you and whatever. And, you know, maybe there's, you sh- I should have stayed. But then again, when I went to Fulham, it was just, I didn't want to go to Fulham. Let's get that. Straight, Chelsea was my club, but the aim is to play first team football, and as I say, if there'd have been thirteen or fourteen in the squad and you'd have been around the first team sort of situation, then other stayed, but it wasn't like that in those days, so you just you know you had to go where you could play, you know, and that's how what did I that
0: think. move to Fulham come about well, it was only um
2: Eddie said, look, be patient, be patient. And then a little while later, you know, you you go and see Eddie again. Because you're scoring in the reserves, but it doesn't make a difference. In the reserves, you know, it was was a bloody high standard. Don't worry about that. But it was, it don't matter. If you set a forward in the first team and scoring goals, you cannot expect to oust him. You can't do it. He's scoring goals. And, and that was it. And you kind of think, well... And then he said, would you like to go on loan for a month? And then, of course, you go on loan. And as I said, Eddie said, be patient. And I said, Ed, Ed, I need football. I don't want to play in front of 500 people in the reserves. You know, I want to play in front of 20,000 people or 30,000 people or whatever. I want to play on the main stage. So he said, well, do you want to go on loan to Fulham? And then I said, yes. But, you know, obviously I didn't realise I was going to go and play with Bobby Moore, George Best, you know, Peter Storey, Rodney Marsh. And Rodney Marsh, let me say, he's a good friend of mine now, Marshy. But he was my hero because as a youngster, I trained with Queen's Park Rangers and I used to go and um, watch the games and that. And Marshy was my, he was pre-Stan Bowles but Marshy was my hero of all time he was absolutely unbelievable and I've told him it face to face and he's still with me but yeah that's and then when you go there but unfortunately when I joined Fulham and Marshy got the elbow (laughs) he said said, I might be your hero Ted he said but the minute you walked in I got the boot out the door so (laughs) it's just a funny old Added really, but yeah, it was, that was it really. But when I went back to Chelsea, I still would have. I'd love to have stayed at Chelsea, but you know, you don't ever know if Jock had carried on scoring for another three or four years, I wouldn't have got a game. And my ideal scenario was to play first team football.
0: Would like to touch on current events now if I may, and one particular question that I do sort of ask all my guests and it's been an interesting question. It's been one that's divided a lot of opinions and that is VAR. So, Teddy Maybank on the Blue Day podcast, what are your thoughts on VAR? Are you for it, against it? What sort of views have you got on this uh, particular topic? I think as
2: far as being a permanent fixture I think it's got to be it does need to be tweaked it does need to be tweaked and you know where rules are rules you know I always think in offside situations and it is being tweaked a little bit now but in offside situations if it's a finger or arm or blah 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 or head it's you've got to give the centre-forward or the forward player the advantage. And if it's dead level, you know, you've got to give the centre-forward or the forward player the advantage. But I do think that for fouls and um, goal-line scraps and ball being just over the line, it's got to be, it's got to be there to stay. And once it gets tweaked a little bit, it will be beneficial to the game. I mean, it does stop. It does stop the flow of the game and the crowd do get... But let's put it this way. World Cup 1966. Jeff Hurst scored his, uh, his second goal or whatever it was. and hit the bar. If that was a goal... And Frank Lampard, when Frank Lampard scored and the ball was over the line. If you had that, remember this these are this is people's livings. This is country's expectations of of winning things. And if you went back to these vital, vital goals and these vital fouls and these vital offsides, if they'd been there then, it would have changed the whole course of football. And I think having it now, it, as I say, will take a little while, but it's got to be there to stay. It's got to be. And some of the tackles, you know, I mean, we, in our time, tackles were tackles. And Ron Harris, tackles were tackles. And you, like, you used to get two or three tackles, or no, let's say you had one or two tackles from the centre-half. And it doesn't matter how hard the tackle was, the first tackle. They could have basically broke your leg from behind. And many people did, I mean. But the centre-half had one tackle or two tackles for nothing. And then the referee would say, OK, that's enough. But that tackle could have put you out of the game. And I think now you've got to have something that will, although football is a non-contact sport now, it's, it's, it's nowhere near the game that we played. I mean, the fitness is much superior nowadays. But tackling and, again, VAR, let's cut it to the chase. VAR has got to stay.
0: There have been some controversial moments in VAR. I think the one that sticks in my mind was the disallowed goal that Werner had against Southampton few weeks ago, Aspilicueta allegedly fouled one of the Southampton players in the build-up to it, and it was 30 seconds later, Werner scored, and all of a sudden, VAR overturned it. It was, for me, still one of the most shocking decisions I've seen at Stamford Bridge. But VAR, yes, as you say, it is here to stay. It's a technology, software... What do you think? What do you think? Well, I'm partly a fan of it. The goal-line technology, I think, has been long overdue. I think it should have come in long before it eventually did. Yeah. But I think with VAR, as people in charge of it, I think they need to be coached and educated better on what to look for when it comes do to think certain players, decisions. Do you think players should, should maybe be up
2: there in charge of VAR? Knowing that what's going on in football and knowing how people make challenges and you know, do you think that maybe it might be a good thing to actually coach ex players to look at the VAR thing and then have them judging rather than referees? Because referees, they obviously know the rules, but they don't know the actuality of football. They don't know what goes on behind the scenes. They don't know who's. Saying something in someone's ear and doing this and doing that. But do you think that footballers would be good to coach as VAR officials?
0: I believe it's something that should be at least considered, whether or not the referees would like it. And in fact, maybe even the Premier League would probably be against it, because then who do you then go for with ex players? Do you go for, with all due respect, ones that. Are from the 60s or 70s? Or do you go for ones that are just recently retired within the last 12 months? And you've also got the other, the other sort of problem of as ex-players. <laughs> yeah, you it? can imagine if you had,
2: you could have like one Harris, right? And you could have another. And then you could have people like Stan Bowles and Rodney Marsh and, and Gianfranco Zola that were on the receiving end. Of those tackles. Now, both would have a different opinion, I suppose, wouldn't they? Like, Buller and that would say, oh, well, that's a fair tackle. But you see, you've got to have someone more in the modern day era of football. Because if you had someone older, like, as I say, like Ron, and I mean, he's still compliments, he could still, you know, he could still judge a game, but he would look at it completely in different ways. Yes. Through a ball player, wouldn't he? Yeah. So he would say, "Oh, that's all right. That's it, you know." But the game's moved on. So what you've got to have, definitely now, you have got to have someone within the last that has played within the last fifteen years, because the game's changed categorically, hasn't it?
0: It has, and it's something that hopefully will eradicate itself, hopefully we'll get less controversial decisions like we have done in the past, but another question that I wanted to ask you Ted, uh, before we do wrap this up, is obviously talking about the current day Chelsea and sort of again how different the club is, even from the late 90s to now, but Chelsea are top of the league as as we're recording this doing quite well with Tuchel, European champions of course what's your take on the current day Chelsea? Well, I think... Let me just... Can I say one thing, Keith? Yeah, of course you can.
2: You know, when it comes down to it, the first sort of foreign manager came in and changed the whole look of football Really, was Arsene Wenger, right? When Arsene went into Arsenal, he changed the whole... And I'm friends with Liam Brady and Sammy Nelson and all those chaps that used to play Arsenal. And... It changed the whole training regime. We used to train um, like from half 10 to half 12. And then or one o'clock or whatever. And then that's it. We just used to go off. And when Arson came in, you know, and when I went to PSV, I know them. We trained from 9.30 till 12. Went home, had lunch, came back, trained from 2.30, whatever it is, till 4. And that was it. You didn't have any chance to go and do your betting or your snooker or you d- You went. You had to go back to training. And when Arsene Wenger came in, he changed the whole, uh, the whole look of football, as in training, as in diet, as in management. And my pre-match meal when I was at Chelsea, and at Brighton as well, and Fulham. My pre-match meal, half past 11, was steak, egg, chips and beans. Now, when you think you're playing three hours later and you've got you've got that, you, know, it didn't say, you didn't think about it. You know, some people went on it, some people did But I think really and truly, football now, I mean, Chelsea, I think Tuchel's been a revelation. I felt sorry for Frank, but I think he was a little bit out of his depth. And it was a little bit too, too quick, because he was almost still a player. And it's one of those things where, you know, Frank may come back, but he might have had a taste of him thinking, "No, I don't want to do that anymore." But when you've got Tuchel, he's coming. He's he's an experienced coach, and he's bought the players. I mean, I didn't think that the team would do as well as they can, as they are. Because they play, it's, it's, so, it's so complicated, it's so tippy-tappy, you know, football. And I didn't really see... But when Luke came in, I... And I can say this honestly, I've, I wouldn't have bought him. And okay, I'm, interesting. I'm still not completely sure of whether he, after six months, I'm not sure that he's going to be the answer. But I think the side, I mean, as for I mean, he's just, he's just done so well. And the fullbacks, the fullbacks now, and Kante, and, you know, they're all great players. And I really want them to do well. But, I'm just not sure we've got the out-and-out. You see, when I look at Liverpool, and I'm not a football support. I mean, I love watching football, but when I look at Liverpool, overall, you've got Man City, they haven't got a centre-forward. You know, you've got Chelsea, they've got Lukaku now, but they didn't really have a centre-forward. You've got these people that are making runs and everybody can score. But do you know what the defining thing is when you look at Liverpool, they just have three of the greatest sort of centre forwards with all now with all their motion and their movement and whatever, they've still got the adaptability that Chelsea have got. I want Chelsea to win the league. I want Chelsea to win the league, but I'm not sure. And listen, time will prove me wrong or prove me right. I'm not sure. I think Timo Werner, even now, I mean, the crowd sort of still got in his back and still, and I've been through that myself. And it's a very difficult thing to come out, even though you're an experienced professional, to come out with that hostile sort of feeling in your head to perform to your best, but I think Timo Werner will will definitely win the crowd over. But my only point is, I'm not sure on Lukaku. Interesting. He's very strong, and he's. I don't think he's is technical as the rest of the Chelsea side.
0: As you say, time will tell. Maybe he'll come good in the end. I mean, Chelsea spent a lot of money on him and this is his second spell at the club. Of course, he was there. I wish him well.
2: I wish him all the best, obviously.
0: Final question, Ted, and what's been, for me, a a great interview. And again, thank you very much for your time today on the podcast. How do you look back on your time at Chelsea?
2: Well, when you think that I, I actually sort of started at Chelsea at the age of 11 and 12, and left at 19, 20. They're probably the most informative years that a child could have. And I I call myself a child because at 10, if you look nowadays and say a 10 and 11 year old, you'd still call them a child, wouldn't you? Hmm. And yet... We were catching the trains over to train and meet up like after school. Those those ten years were—I don't know—it's flashed by, but it was. It was when you you were training. We used to paint the dressing rooms when we were apprentices. We used to sweep the stands. You know, you wouldn't get a fifteen a fifteen year old now signed for a club would probably be on five grand a year or five grand a week. You know, we were on 15 quid a week. We used to go up to the stands and sweep down all the rubbish off the stands and train, paint the dressing rooms, clean the boots. That, I think, is more like a... um, I don't mean to put it in this serious as this, but it was like when you join the army, you kind of do things. And we, what we did, we cleaned the dressing rooms, we cleared all the kit up. That, that sort of thing brought you all together you were all humble and it was Mr Osgood it was Mr Hudson it was Mr Charlie Cook it was everything was so disciplined and it was so respectful I think that has all gone out the window now really kids of 15 and 16 could you imagine a kid of 15 signed for a club now washing the dressing room floors Cleaning the baths, sweeping down the terraces, painting the change rooms. Could you ever? And what that did, that brought us all so close together. And we will always, always remember that humble side of us all, where we weren't footballers until we made sign professional. Before that, we were dogs' bodies. We trained and we but we were dogspodied. We were just like apprentices and hence the word being an apprentice. There's no such thing anymore. We had the best time of football that there will ever be.
0: Well Ted, as I said, thank you very much for coming on to the show. I appreciate your time and it's been great to actually listening to your stories from Chelsea from an era that of course was way before my time and a lot of sort of are from our supporters, but there are some that do still appreciate your efforts in a Chelsea shirt, still appreciate Ray Wilkins and appreciate Mickey Joy and players of that era. So again, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. And
2: The the one thing is, I mean, always appreciate that side of football, that era of football, because... It wasn't financially your life. We would have played, and I, if you ask any other interviewing, we would have played for nothing. And that, we basically were. <laughs> no, but we would have played for nothing. If, like, if you said, Do you want to go out and play a reserve game or go out I mean, I remember playing once over a park when I shouldn't have been playing because I was an apprentice and I played against Tony Grealish. And the reason was I was playing for my dad. And the reason we played, well, I mean, we could have got injured and it, but we played because we loved it. And I think if you asked the players nowadays, are they playing for the money? Or are they playing because they love the game? Mm. And i tell you what, it would be a very, if you put that on the scales, I'm pretty sure it would go one way.
0: It probably would in this day and age, definitely. But Teddy, thanks for coming on to the show. All the best. And hopefully we'll see you at the bridge one day supporting the mighty Chelsea again.
2: I'll be up there fairly shortly, my man. And listen, Keith, thank you so much for giving me the chance. So lovely to have a chat.
0: Pleasure's all mine. All oh, right,
2: my, my friend. God Take bless it you. Take easy. See you son.
1: podcast is part of the sports social Podcast network. Sport Social Podcast network. videos it's people like you and me it's community it's incredible trainers it's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better and you can get started with my new program called for beginners only now here's the big surprise if you go to body.com right now that's b-o-d-i.com not only can you get everything body has to offer at 50 percent off with an annual membership you'll also get an additional 20 percent off but only during labor day weekend Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I dot com.